For those of you who aren't familiar, a meme is a uh, cultural snapshot. It's an opportunity to think through something that's true sort of culturally, and then you sort of appropriate it to your particular situation, and it's usually shared sort of person to person in kind of a humorous way to communicate a way in which you've experienced that social or cultural uh, phenomenon. Now, here's a meme that I came across recently. This is a sort of do you trust me meme. And the top panel of the meme says, do you trust me? The bottom panel says, with every cell of my being. Now, don't worry about the green arrow and the flash who are in the picture. That, that's not really important to how this works. But this is a meme about trust. And so I wanted to show you just a few ways that some people uh, have used this meme to kind of communicate uh, their experience of trust. Here's one of them. So if you don't know how this works, the way this works is that my brother saying blue fire is cold is the do you trust me? And the response is the five-year-old version of me sticking my hand in the fire with every cell of my body. Here's the second one. Me telling my dog we're going to the dog park my dog not realizing he's getting neutered today. <laughs> and last one, a small, low-quality umbrella saying, do you trust me? Six-year-old me about to jump off the roof. Now, memes, humorous as they are, they also communicate something about society and something about culture. And if you look up that meme online, you'll find many more examples like the ones I showed you. And what they tend to communicate is that we actually have a hard time trusting others. And that those who are trusting are presented as if being naive. That, well, yes, who would believe their brother and stick their hand in the blue fire? Who would jump off a roof and think that the umbrella is going to hold them? And so in some ways, it's actually representing a lack of faith. And it's true that we do have a hard time believing in others. Whether it's experiences we've had with older siblings who lied to us about nickels being worth more than dimes because they're bigger. Whether it's somebody at work in a position of authority who seems to be making decisions based on what's in their best interest instead of what might be in the company's best interests or our best interests. We can have a hard time trusting administration, uh, whether in schools and trying to think through how the decisions they make in government. We might have a hard time trusting the CDC. We might have a hard time trusting people in the medical profession. We might have a hard time trusting people in church. Church in many ways is the worst abuser uh, of trust sometimes. And all of this means that we have a hard time trusting those who are making decisions, those who are in leadership. And that's because in every one of those situations, you have humans involved. And humans are finite and sinful. And that all of us have experienced at the hands of another being duped or tricked or uh, lied to, manipulated, and it can be hard to trust. And those who blindly put their faith in others, we think of them as naive. 
Now, the problem with this is that this lack of trust that we have in human leaders bleeds over into our view of God. And to be honest, sometimes the abuses and the suffering we've experienced at the hands of human leaders makes it difficult for us to trust God. But we're going through the book of Genesis together as a church, and we've reached the point in Genesis where we're getting to talk about Abraham. And if there's one thing about Abraham that he is known for in history, and one thing that he's known for in the scriptures is that <clears throat> he's a person of faith. <clears throat> Abraham has strong faith. He is able to trust. He's a model of faith. And so this morning, thinking about our relationship with God, we want to be men and women who have faith, who believe, who trust in God. What can we learn from Abraham about how you and I might have stronger faith uh, in the God who loves us? So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, it's page 11 in the church Bibles. We had the chapter read to us earlier. We also looked at the chapter a little bit on December 26th. December 26th, we talked about the fact that the thing that Abraham wants most in life is a baby boy. And that God in his kindness not only gave Abraham a baby boy, he's actually given to every single person on earth a baby boy, referencing the baby Jesus and our celebration at Christmas of God giving to us his son. And that the gift of Jesus is the one great thing that we all need, whether we know it or not. That our hearts were longing for life. And the gift of Jesus is the gift of life. Well, we looked at Genesis 15 from that point of view. This morning we want to look at the whole chapter. And we want to think about it from Abraham's point of view. And the response of faith to God's gifts given to Abraham. So Genesis 15, it begins in verse 1 with God saying to Abraham, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. The chapter begins with God declaring to Abraham that he is with him. God doesn't say to Abraham, I will give you a shield or I will give you a reward. He says, I am your shield. I am your reward. And God is affirming for Abraham that he has been given all he could ever hope for or imagine. That God himself is with Abraham. That God is promising to journey with Abraham, to take care of Abraham, to bless Abraham. And it's not so much what God will do for Abraham, but the fact that God is with him. And this is a beautiful announcement at the beginning of the chapter. But Abraham is not so much focused on who God is. He's focused on the fact that he wants a kid. And so he says to God in all honesty, look, this is great. But what can you give me that's going to make up for me not having a child? And in a sense, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the one great longing of Abraham's heart, and he can't see past this to, yes, God, you are my shield and my very great reward, but God, if I'm going to be honest with you, what I really want is a child. What good are all these blessings if I don't have somebody to pass them on to? Well, God responds 
in verse four. He says, this man, because Abraham says, right now all I got is a, is a servant, Eliezer, he's gonna inherit everything. God says, this man, Eliezer, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then he takes him outside and he says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God is promising Abraham not only a biological child, he is promising him offspring in greater number than Abraham could ever possibly count. And we get to the all-important verse in this chapter, one of the most important verses in the Bible. We want to pause, slow down, and look at it carefully. Verse six. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That word believe is a word that means to be certain, to be sure, to be assured. Abraham is confident. He is sure. He is certain. Hebrews 11 verse one helps define faith for us. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Abraham doesn't have a baby boy, but he is assured and he is confident. He is full of faith. But in what? And this becomes the all-important question. You see, for years and years, I've read this passage, and I simply assume that what happened is that God said to Abraham, you're gonna have a kid, and you're gonna have more descendants who come from that kid than you can possibly count. And my sense was, well, Abraham heard God say that, and Abraham believed that God, that God was gonna do that. He heard the statements, and he believed them. Kind of like if I said to you today, hey, I'm gonna pay for your lunch today, and then you turn around and order extra dessert because you're like, hey, Jim's paying. I said I was gonna pay, you believed it, and so you ordered extra dessert. But if you look closely, and I only really, really saw this this week, in studying and praying through this passage, that's not exactly what's going on here. And what's going on is close to that, but far, far more powerful. It's clear in English, it's even more clear in Hebrew. Verse six actually says literally in Hebrew, Abraham believed in the Lord. Now in English, it's just simply been translated, Abraham believed the Lord, but the point is the same. It's not that God made statements and Abraham considered those statements and thought, have a baby, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Or hey, it's God, he said it, I'm sure he can do it. It's not that Abraham heard the statements, understood them, and mentally assented to them. In fact, we're gonna find out in subsequent chapters, Abraham doesn't really understand what God is telling him here. God is telling him, you, Abraham, are going to have a biological child with your wife, Sarah. Abraham does not understand that in chapter 15. 
He thinks he's going to have a child, fine, but he thinks he's going to have it with another woman. What's going on here is that Abraham is actually believing in God. He doesn't understand the statements. He doesn't get the full ramifications of what is being promised him. He simply looks at God and says, I trust you. I believe in you. That he looks at who God is. He looks at God's character, God's faithfulness, God's power. And essentially, I think he says, look, I don't get how this is all going to work itself out. I don't get how somebody my age could give birth to a child and descendants more than you can count. But he looks at God and says, I am certain about you. I'm confident about you. I am assured about you, Lord. 16 years ago, at this very time of year, uh, I was a candidate to be the senior pastor of Calvary Church. This was not something I ever expected to be in a position to be doing. And my wife and I were here, and God was starting to make it clear that I was supposed to do this job. And God was starting to make it clear to the congregation, to Calvary, that I was supposed to do this job. There was, however, one problem, at least for me, at that time. And it did happen right about this time of year. You see, I had a piece of information that was lodged securely in my head, something I had learned in seminary that was really a stumbling block to me being able to accept that this might actually be from God. And that piece of information was really a statistic. And it went something like this. When you have a long-serving, successful senior pastor of a church, the next person who follows that long-serving, successful senior pastor does not tend to stay for a very long time. In fact, the, the statistic that was drilled into us in seminary was the average stay for what we'll call the second pastor is 18 months. What normally happens is you have a very influential, successful senior pastor in a position, and the church gets used to that person and the way they do things. And the church has probably experienced growth and probably experienced blessing. And then when that pastor leaves or retires or whatever may be the case, they put together a search committee and they start praying and they think we gotta find the next person. And they go and look for somebody who uh, is very similar maybe to their senior pastor but has some of the strengths that their senior pastor before didn't have. And they put together a search committee and they go out and they hire somebody and they bring some of that person in. And then what normally happens is over a period of about 18 months, people began to realize that this new person has different strengths, different weaknesses, different experiences, different ways of doing things. And suddenly there is a clash and a conflict. And the church thinks, well, this is different than it was before, and this isn't working out very well. And then usually what happens is that second person gets fired, and then it's the third person who comes in that ends up being successful. Because it's kind of reset expectations. The church can be humbled and be like, whoa, we gotta take this a little more seriously. We gotta figure this out. We gotta get this right. We've already messed up once. We can't do this again. And the third person comes in and is more successful. 
Not only was I well aware of the statistic, I had just come to Grand Rapids and had been in an, ex an internship in Dallas where this exact thing happened in the church that we were in. When we showed up, the person who they just fired, the second person, and they had just hired the third person who had uh, picked us to be interns at the church. And so I was well aware of this statistic and also well aware that the person who had this job before I did, Ed Dobson, was a very successful senior pastor who had been in this position for 18 years. And the fact that this was my first, gonna be my first job in ministry. And then I was woefully inexperienced and unprepared for this job. And I thought, there's no way this lasts even 18 months. And I thought to myself, who wants to do that? Like I was sure that, okay, well, they would hire me. And then it would become quite clear that I was not competent for this job. They would fire me and then they would get on with what they, we would get on with what we really needed to do. I'm not even sure how to say that. But yet it felt like God was calling us to do this. And it felt like God was confirming that with the congregation. And so I remember about this time in January, I remember sitting down and spending a lot of time talking to Lisa about this and praying about this and saying, but the average tenure is about 18 months. And this feels like an even worse situation than normal. This is way too big a church for me. And I remember as I'm thinking through this and processing through this, I remember having a thought, I think it was from the Lord, in which it dawned on me, well, somebody's gotta be the second pastor. You can't get to the third pastor unless you have the second one. And I remember thinking, why do I think so highly of myself that that shouldn't be me? And then the more important thought, I remember thinking, do I really think if that happened to me that God wouldn't take care of me? And I thought about God and I thought about all I knew about God and I thought about what I've experienced with God and I thought, whatever happens, I didn't have a promise. I did not have a promise from the Lord that this would make it a long time. In fact, nobody knows this. But at 18 months, Lisa and I went out to dinner and we celebrated. <laughs> we didn't tell anybody. But I didn't have a promise. I didn't have a promise it was gonna turn out well. All I had was God saying, do you trust me? And I looked at God and I thought, I do. I believe in you. I believe in who you are. This is what Abraham is doing. He doesn't know how this is all gonna work out, but he looks at God and he says, I believe in you. I am certain about you. Now, how did I get certain about God? More importantly, how did Abraham get certain about God? So that in Genesis 15, he can say, God, I, I trust you. Well, Genesis 15 is not Genesis 12. What I mean by that, this is not the first experience that Abraham has had with God. 
God shows up and he blesses Abraham and he brings him to this new land and Abraham's experienced those blessings. And in Genesis 12, when Abraham sins, goes into Egypt, loses faith, God still is faithful to his promise. And when Pharaoh threatens uh, Abraham to, to just disrupt things, God protects Abraham, even though it's Abraham's fault. And when he brings Abraham back into the land, he blesses Abraham and gives him grace so that he actually ends up in a better situation than if he hadn't sinned at all, which is how the grace of God works. When Lot chooses the better land in Genesis 13, God still blesses Abraham. When Lot gets himself captured and Abraham's got to go off the battle with 318 men against four kings, God miraculously takes care of him. God brings him Melchizedek to help Abraham worship. When we get to Genesis 15, Abraham's got some history with the Lord. He's seen that God has been faithful. He's seen that God has taken care of him. And at that point, Abraham can say to God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I believe in you. I am confident about you. Now you say, well, maybe you're listening this morning and you think, I don't have a lot of experience with God. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you don't even yet identify as a Christian. You're like, well, how could I have trust in someone when that trust hasn't been built? That's a great question. I'd like to come back and answer it at the end of the next section, but we need to go on because the chapter's not done yet. And there's more that I think God wants to say to us about faith. So keep going with me. Verse seven, God also said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So in verse seven, God's doing exactly what we're talking about. He's reminding Abraham, look, it's me. Me, I'm the one you're putting your trust in and I've been faithful. I got you to this land, didn't I? Now watch what Abraham does in verse eight because this is the whole chapter is him wanting and struggling to believe. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? You see, the first part of the chapter is about Abraham believing in God. But there's more that God wants for us besides just believing in him. He actually wants us to believe the specific promises that God has made to us. God's made Abraham a promise about the land. Abraham has already affirmed, I believe in you, God. But how can I know for certain that your promises will come true? Well, in verse nine, God goes through an elaborate ceremony for Abraham. He says, Abraham, go get some animals. Abraham gets the animals, cut them in half, take half of each of the animals and put it on one side of the path and put the other half of each of the animals on the other side of the path. And then God causes a deep sleep to come over Abraham. And in that deep sleep, I want you to see these words for yourselves. Verse 13, the Lord said to him, know for certain, know for certain. And then he's gonna go over the promises. But here is the key. Abraham, you can know for certain. In other words, you can have absolute certainty that these promises are going to come true. And then God does something super powerful that seems incredibly 
mysterious to us. He basically walks down the path in between the severed animals. Now for us today, reading that, we think, that is weird. But for Abraham, this is super powerful because in his culture, he understands what this is. This is a covenant ceremony. Effectively, what God is saying to Abraham is, I swear on my life. Who does God swear to? The Bible tells us God swears on his own life. God swears to God that he will do what he promised. He says to Abraham, you believe in me? Then believe this, I swear to you on my own existence, I will do what I promised to do. Now we say, wow, that's, that's cool for Abraham. <laughs> what about us? You may notice there are no animal carcasses on the platform. There's no path. There's no sort of smoking pot that represents God going through it. What does this mean for us? Well, the reason we don't have any animal carcasses on the platform is because we have something else on the platform that symbolizes this, but far more. And that's this cross. You see, what that cross is, is the actual fulfillment of this promise. What God swore to Abraham, I will do whatever it takes to bless you. I will pay whatever price necessary to fulfill my promise. Why can Abraham be certain that God will do this? Because God is saying to Abraham, there is nothing that will stop me from doing this. There is no price I will not pay to make this happen. And that cross is the fulfillment of that promise. That it came to pass that the only way, the only way for God to be able to bless Abraham and his descendants was for God to offer his only begotten son on that cross to give up his life in fulfillment of this ceremony so that God would be free through Jesus to bring about the blessings he had promised to Abraham. What this means for you and I, all of this for Abraham is future. For us, it is past. And that God is not only swearing to each one of us an oath on his own existence that he will do whatever is necessary to bless us, he's actually already done it. What you and I had to have, he was willing to pay. This is why Paul says, look, if God has already paid the ultimate price, if God was willing to send his only begotten son, the son, the object of all of his love and affection and allow his son to be crucified in our place, 
How could we not believe that once God raised Jesus from the dead, that he would then turn around and through Jesus give us all the blessings that he promised? He's already paid the price. So back to the question. What about those that don't have an experience of God's faithfulness and haven't experienced building trust in God? What the cross says to you is before you were even born, before you did one thing good or bad, God so loved you that he gave his only son so that he might be able to bless you that he might be able to give you all the blessings of life. And God says to you this morning, you might not have a long history with me, but I have a long history with you. And God wants you to know this morning, he's simply reaching his hand out to you and saying, do you trust me? God's not asking, do you understand why would God's son have to die? You don't have to understand how does sin work that this would keep us from doing this? Why does this have to be God himself who dies on the cross? You may not understand any of those things. But are you willing to believe in a God who loves you so much that he's already paid the ultimate sacrifice to be able to bless you? If you, like Abraham, can say, I believe in that God, God will give you what he gave to Abraham, which is he will credit it to you as righteousness, which is just the Bible's way of saying, Abraham became a child of God. Now, for the rest of us who are Christians, what I'd like us to do this morning, and I've left us uh, some time to do this, so I'd like to take the time and use it is I'd like us to go through uh, an exercise together. So I need you, if you have a pen, it'd be great if you pulled out a pen and a piece of paper. If you got a phone and you wanna type in some notes on your phone, uh, pull up a notes app or something like this. We're gonna go through a little exercise together. It's just between you and the Lord, but I do think writing stuff down or kind of taking notes will help. If you're not able to do that, you just wanna try to remember it in your mind, uh, that will be fine as well. But here's what we're gonna do, is we're gonna spend just a few minutes in silence. And what I'd like you to write on your paper or in your phone or however you're doing it, ways in which you've seen God be faithful to you in the past. Things that God's done for you recently, things that God's done for you in the past, just as they come to mind. Maybe your car broke down and God provided you with a loaner car. Uh, maybe at Christmas you were able to get together with family members. Maybe you recently had COVID and God healed you from that. Uh, maybe you lost a loved one, but God was near to you during that time in a special way. Maybe you just got your grades from first semester in that one class that you thought you never were gonna pass. God somehow got you through that. Maybe there's a season in which you remember being super lonely and praying urgently for a friend and God providing a friend. Maybe you've gone through something where you have cancer and you showed up for chemo and the chemo nurse happened to be a Christian and you knew that was the Lord saying, I see you, I'm near you. Just take some time and write down some of the ways in which you've seen God 
be kind to you, be faithful to you. Maybe he's healed you of something. Maybe he's led a friend to the Lord that you've been praying for for a long time. In what ways have you seen in the past God answer a prayer or do something powerful for you? get a bonus at work? Do you remember praying that God would help you get pregnant and, and you were able to get pregnant? Was there an adoption process he walked you through or a new business venture he's been faithful in? Did he get you out of a bad job and into a healthier situation? bring along a mentor in your life? Did you get a note of encouragement this week that just really blessed your soul? Just any ways that you've seen God do something for you, big or small. God give you a new ministry assignment and, and support you in it. If God met you in widowhood and been near to you. Did a gift card show up in the mail at just the right time? You're making it through your first year of college and not been nearly as scary as you thought it was going to be? Has God helped you in high school or middle school? Did you make a new friend on your basketball team that you thought was really from the Lord? All right, you got a list in front of you? 
Okay, second thing, and you can write this down or you can just kind of keep it in your mind. What's something that you are currently afraid of, nervous about for the future, uncertain about, wanting to exercise more faith in regard to? What's something where you're like, look, if I could have the faith of Abraham, I'd want to have it in this area. I don't know what to do about this thing, this situation. What is that thing that you're really, it's just gnawing at you and you wished you could believe in that thing, that God would take care of that? You got your thing? Okay, what I'd like to do, if you're willing, is close your eyes. And I want you to just listen as I try to talk to you, sort of from God's point of view. Do you remember that list you wrote of all the ways that God's been faithful? I want you in your mind's eye just to see God reaching out to you and saying, do you trust me? It's not a rebuke. It's an invitation. Do you trust me? I know you don't know how this thing is going to work itself out. I don't know that you can't see what's coming. And if God were to try to explain it to you, I don't think you'd understand it. He's just simply asking you today, do you trust me? Have I not shown myself to you to be faithful? And then I want you to think about the fact that God has already sent his son to die for you, that he has already paid the ultimate price. He is now free to keep all his promises. And I want you to just hear his promises and know for certain that he will keep them, whether you and I believe it or not. I want you to hear that God has promised I will never leave you or forsake you. That God has promised whether you turn to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. That God has promised, I will work all things together for your good. that God has promised, I will be near to the brokenhearted. When you cry, I cry. And when you rejoice, I will rejoice with you. I want you to hear the promise of God. You will yet see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. 
I want you to hear the promise. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And when you walk through the water, you will not drown. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says, I will help you. Hear the promise of God that if you lack wisdom, God will give it to you generously without finding fault. Hear his promise. I will lead you beside still waters and into green pastures. Never will you walk alone. And with your eyes still closed, May the Lord himself help you to know for certain. The blessings of Abraham have already been purchased for you. Now God will just freely give them to you. He's not promised an easy life. He has not promised a lack of suffering. He has promised that he's going to make you like Jesus. He has promised that in your suffering, you're going to be a blessing to others. He has promised an eternity with him in heaven with no more crying or suffering or pain. And the cross is God swearing to God that he will do everything he's promised so that you and I can know for certain. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.